You're listening to Tips and Tricks for Successful Air Travel. Here again is Mary Shea, the Clinic Manager of Wheelchair Services for Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation. Joining her is Dr. Trevor Dyson Hudson, a co-director of NNJSCIS and the Director of Spinal Cord Injury Research at Kessler Foundation. Get practical advice to help you and your assistive technology travel safely and smoothly by air. So I'm Trevor Dyson Hudson and uh, with me is Mary Shea and uh, we're going to talk is about tips and tricks for uh, successful air travel. Now I use a manual chair and Mary travels with somebody who uses a power chair and we're going to tag team back and forth and what we wanted to do during this presentation is really kind of hit on some key points and what I want you to do, let me just get a show of hands here. How many people in the audience have flown with their disability? Wow, okay. Perfect. Anybody who hasn't? Okay, so we got a good mix. <laughs> so, so for some of you, I'm going to be preaching to the choir, and actually each of you may have your own tips and tricks you want to throw out at us too. We kind of want to identify different pearls, I call them pearls of wisdom, that help, that uh, certainly have helped me when I travel. So, you know, the way we break it down is thinking of getting to the airport. So when we drive to the airport, um, it's just an overview of the presentation. Pre-boarding, you know, checking in and giving them the bags, the TSA check, departure gate, boarding at the gate itself, um, disembarking and arriving at the, the airport, and then transportation on the other side. So some general considerations. Be prepared. You know, this is advanced preparation is always key. As I travel more and more, I find I get sloppier and sloppier. But I think it's really important to just kind of mentally go through the steps that you're going to take when you travel. Level of assistance needed. So knowing this beforehand, are you, do you, can you transfer independently or will you need assistance at the airport, getting to the gate, going through security, um, getting on the plane, will you need two people? All these things are important, and I've found that the airlines over the years, depending on whether I was traveling alone or with a companion, uh, would, would, hap would happily provide me with that assistance. But I just, I need to let them know beforehand. Um, and as I said, traveling alone with a companion, again, that makes a, a difference in terms of how much assistance I'm going to need from the airport and the airlines. Length of flight. Now, this can factor in, because if it's a two-hour flight, you're not up there long enough for, for some of these things to become issues, but your seat cushion, right? We need to protect our bottoms. We have a nice cushion in our power chair, our manual chair, but when we get into an airplane, the cushion might not be as good, and Mary's gonna talk about this. Bladder management. Will you have to go to the bathroom while you're up in the air? Um, I, I am crazy about going to the bathroom multiple times before I get on the plane, just so I don't need to worry about it on the plane. And you never know if you're going to be sitting out there on the runway delayed for an hour or two and then before you, and I also try to cut down on my coffee, any caffeine, anything like that, that, that could increase my urine output. Um, swelling, and this is something Mary brought up, uh, for very long flights, some people have really, uh, have a lot of swelling in their legs. And so suggest wearing compression stockings. And Mary herself has started wearing compression stockings. <laughs> so it's not only for people in wheelchairs, it's for everybody. Okay, so again, other general consi uh, considerations. Be patient, you know. Um, 
I find that people are trying to help. You just have to tell them what you need, whatever it is at whatever stage along the journey. They don't know. Um, sometimes you have to be assertive. Uh, you have to self-advocate. Um, but try not to be aggressive or angry, because uh, really, I mean, sometimes you do have to put your foot down, so to speak. Um, but you know, really try not to be too belligerent with people, because I find that you know sometimes honey goes a little farther than vinegar, right? Don't assume anything. Don't assume that people know what they're doing. I know it's kind of sad, but you know these people are trained and. They've, they've gone through special training to do this, but they, you know, unless you practice it, you're, you're going to forget these things. Or you don't pay attention until you actually have that person that you have to do a two-person lift. And I always point out, too, you know, and, and I'll bring this up again, I, I bring it up multiple times. You know, I need a two-person lift. I'm uh, just under six feet, way close to 200 pounds, probably a little closer than I'd like to admit. And, uh, you know, they'll send two smaller women to try to lift me over things. And I try to, you know, just remind them, please send two strong people um, to, to help. And then the other thing, as with everything, Murphy's Law, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. So just try to be prepared to address problem solve, troubleshoot those things. But this shouldn't scare you from flying. You know, I don't want anybody to be scared just because of all the things that can go wrong. I just think it's important to be prepared. So next. So making reservations. So you, you want to purchase your tickets in advance. I use Expedia a lot. You know, I, I, I used to use a travel agent, but now I use Expedia. I go online. I've become a little more cavalier. Nan, um, Mary's going to give some um, examples of how she does it, how her companion does it. But I'll go on. I don't necessarily choose my seating assignment um, because I know when I get there that I'm going to talk at check-in and then I'm going to double-check when I get to the gate about seeing if they can put my companion, my girlfriend and I together and I've never had a problem with them doing that. Um, and again also seat assignment, you know, do you like having the bulkhead seat where you have all this space or do you like to have a seat in front of you? I'm balance impaired, so when that plan land when that plane lands, I have no balance and they slam on those brakes my head is going forward and, and I don't realize it until they do it. So having either a person, my, my girlfriend with me to, to prop me up or making, if, I'm, if I were traveling alone, I might let the person next to me know, look, can you do me a favor and just when we land, just hold my arm or something like that. Are you? Can you elaborate on what a bulkhead is? I'm sorry, good, good question, Charlie. So the bulkhead, I, I don't know why they truly call it the bulkhead, but it's at the kind of the front end of the. Well, why is it called bulkhead, Charlie? Since you're bringing. Well, bulkhead. Okay. But uh, the seat itself is way up in front, so people don't have to carry you as far. And as Mary was saying, there's lots more room for people to maneuver you in and out of your chair. Right. And then for somebody who's six foot, for your knees to stay up. Sure. And so we were going to say, and there are pros and cons to the bulkhead seats. So some people really like it, especially if you're tall, you have the room. And especially if you're on a flight where it's going to be a few hours, you want to do a pressure relief and lean all the way forward, if that's how you have to do your pressure relief, because you can't push up. But for other people, they don't like it, because the um, arms on the bulkhead seats don't flip up. So that becomes a problem. So there's pros and cons to everything. 
And it's just knowing what works for you. For each one of you, different things work. Mm -hmm. And it's just knowing what are the advantages and disadvantages of that. Yeah. And they often say, you know, call the airline 24 hours in advance to just confirm seats and that, that they realize that you have a wheelchair, that they're going to be prepared. Um, I've gotten out of that habit, but I, I think people should still do it. Um, it's, Mary can speak to the power wheelchair. Sure. When you're um, traveling with a manual chair versus a power wheelchair, it's very different. Um, so with power wheelchairs, it, you need a lot more instruction for people. And so often uh, the best idea, I think, when you're using a power wheelchair and traveling is to have a sign. And the sign shouldn't be that complex where they're not going to read it. So what are your like four or five bullet points that are so key for operating and maneuvering your chair so that it doesn't get damaged? Because that's the problem. People, they don't know, so they're trying to put it onto these conveyor belts and stuff after you get out of it. And they start lifting it by things like the armrest or the arm troughs or the headrest. And they don't know that those pieces all come off. So you want to really direct them. So before you even go to the airport, what you want to do is have a sign. And what should this, and have about 10 copies of the sign. And we'll explain why later. But uh, the sign suggestions would be, number one, you can direct all the people uh, in the airport that you're leaving from. But the wheelchair is getting off in an airport and nobody knows anything about you and you didn't get to talk to them and they think, oh, what is this thing? So the first thing that should be on the sign is before unloading, speak to the pilot. So another thought with the sign suggestions would be a bullet about the weight of the wheelchair. They don't realize how heavy these wheelchairs are. They're about 375, 400 pounds. So that should be on there so that they realize two people can't lift this. So then it should say lift with four people. So you see the bullets up here. And the best thing to do would be um, they make Q-strain straps. And most people have points on the chair where you can really secure them, like the uh, tie-down um, brackets on the chair, the transportation brackets. So if they lift them from those four places, it's very secure. The other big issue with power chairs is how do you turn it on and off? So it has to be off for when it's on the plane. So you would probably have it all off, but what you want to do is they can't move the chair then to load it. So you have to have the motors disengaged. So that's tricky because all the motor levers are underneath and hiding behind the wheels. So what you want to do is have them marked with like orange tape or yellow leaf something so that it's pretty clear. So that would be another, that would probably be the third bullet. Unlock the wheelchair, lift the levers up, and where are they marked? They're located behind the uh, tires and they're marked with an orange tape. The next thought would be um, a lot of airports don't have elevators handy, like especially when you're in the jetways and in the gates uh, by the gate area. So a lot of times they're moving all of your carry-on baggage down, the, down a flight of steps. So just it's important to, for them to know, do not use the stairs, elevator transportation only, because the chair is going to fall. And unfortunately, there's a lot of damage done to chairs on airlines, not because they intend to do the damage. It's because all the chairs are different, and you have all these different people operating it, and then things happen. So it's just you want to avoid that, because you're the one who has to get to the destination and now be hopefully at minimal inconvenience, but it could really be traumatic, and now you can't move around. So the last thing would be your information, just your name and a cell phone. So you don't want too much on there again. So I wouldn't even write passenger information. I just put your name and cell. It's pretty clear then if they have questions to call you. 
So uh, Trevor also has a friend that um, travels with a vent uh, and a power wheelchair. And um, what they put on the sign, which I think is really cool, is please be careful. This is my arms and my legs. And they said, you know, when they ha ever since they've had that on the sign, they have not had damage to the chair from traveling. So it just makes it more human to them, more personal. Okay. So, so we talk, yes. Sorry. Does anybody know if you could rent a power chair in most major cities as compared to taking a chance with your power chair on the airplane? Does anybody know that? You can. I think you can always, just to speak to that, uh, there are always suppliers in different cities that have chairs that you could probably rent. The question is, would it work for you? And, you know, it's, um, for a lot of people, it's pretty specific their needs, depending on the level of injury. If you have lower level injuries, you may be able to get away with something like that. But I'd probably bring you a cushion. Yeah, I would probably, probably do something like that. Mary? Sorry. This is Linda in the back here. I can answer that. I'll help you out. Um, there is a company now called Special Needs at Sea, which is not necessarily at sea. You can rent any kind of equipment you need just about anywhere in the world. Gets delivered to you. It's called Special Needs at Sea, S-E-A. And you can get just about anything you need anywhere. So it, that's a, it'll help you out with that one. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Linda actually makes me aware, we should also mention that Linda's going to be presenting after us and then there's going to be a uh, panel afterwards where people are also going to bring up some of these issues. So there's going to be a lot of redundancy to this conversation. Mary, one other question. Will your power wheelchair fit on every kind of airplane? Uh -huh. Some of these little commuter jets going in and out of the secondary airports, will my wheelchair even fit in there? That, that we're gonna get into in a little bit, okay. but all the different, there's a lot of different size holds, so you have holds, meaning where they store their chairs, and you have to get them under a certain height, so you're right on the money with that, yeah. Okay. So, so for trans, yeah. So, so just, uh, you know, think about your transportation, whether you're gonna use a cab, whether you need an accessible cab, um, private if you're driving your own vehicle. One of the big pearls that I learned early on is that you know you have short-term parking which is very convenient it's right there by the terminal and you have long but it's more expensive than long-term parking most airports you should call ahead just to confirm but most uh, airports will allow you to do short-term parking at a long-term rate so and what you do is you just pull the ticket you pull in and then when you leave and go to pay you just show them your, your handicap uh, placard or the plate or whatever, and they'll charge you at that reduced rate. And this is, that was just phenomenal, because that means you could pull right up to the terminal. You don't have to worry about trying to catch a shuttle or anything like that. So I, I found that very useful. Mm -hmm. um, so for check-in, you know, you want to arrive two hours before domestic flights. You know, and I do, I mean, that's coming in the terminal, and I really try to be good about that, because you never know how long things are going to take. Because there's a lot of steps before you actually have to get to that gate. And usually with the gate, that you're the first person to get on. So they like you to be there early. And so um, I just want to make sure I allow myself plenty of time. Um, I, I usually go to check-in and I start my conversation again. I identify my needs um, to the ticket agent. That's where I make my seating arrangement. 
um, for both me and my, my companion. Um, and uh, I, I remind them that I need an aisle chair, that I need two people for assistance. Um, that you know that I can't walk. That I that I need to take my wheelchair all the way down to the door of the plane. Um, they give me my boarding pass at that time. I check my baggage. And some of the things you want to think about at that time is whether you're checking luggage, or whether you're going to carry it on, um, or whether you're going to check it at the gate, so to speak. Um, and so just some things. Just to well, okay. So yeah, why don't you talk about the gate check? So um, basically, and then we'll answer both uh, questions. Um, basically, um, you're allowed to bring your medical equipment to the gate. Um, and you, could, you should definitely bring your wheelchair all the way to the gate, just because of how long you're sitting around, the cushion, and just even the support of it. Um, they will allow you even a rolling commode chair to bring it all the way to the gate. Because if you check it at the baggage where they load all the baggage, it goes on the conveyor belts and quite honestly they always get damaged and then you're the one who's on the other end and it doesn't matter they're going to fix it in a week you don't have anything to use right now and so you definitely want to bring it all the way to the gate and gate check like things like a rolling commode chair the other thing is you always have most people travel around with a backpack with those essential items in it and then we'll talk a little bit about um, a duffel bag for traveling and what could go in that but like when you take off removable parts for your chair, you want to have that duffel bag to load it with like your headrest and things that you're pulling off the chair if you're in a power chair. And for the uh, manual chair, the side guards, the armrest, whatever you're taking off there so they don't get lost. And then you have a question, Charlie? We're going to get to that. Yeah, oh, good. So yeah that's important. Yep. We're, and, uh, we're did you have a question as well? So I think two things, okay. we're going to get into that yeah. in a little bit, which is right on because that's such a, a big issue and I'm so sorry that happened to you because, but the reason that they have to get the power chairs down, that's why they do it and they don't know how because they don't know your chair, they don't know the electronics. So they break the, unfortunately they end up breaking it thinking that it's got to be manually done and they'll take it apart even with tools and they'll do it and you're the one left, you get to the other side and you're shocked. But the bottom line is that there are strategies to avoid it, and we're going to get into that in just a few right. minutes. But you know right what? On. Actually, what we might do, if it's okay with you, might ask you to, because there is a lot more in our following slides. So, and these are all excellent questions. So, jot down your question or hold it in your thought. Let us get through, and then you can ask all you want afterwards. Okay? So, okay. So, carry on essentials. So, you know, just. It's important to have medications, everybody, just so any medications you have, have them and carry on, just in case they lose your, your checked luggage. Or, yeah, supplies, anything you might have, catheters, um, uh, chucks, gloves, anything like that. Cushions for a plane seat, we'll get some more into the cushions. Change of clothing, you know, so that you're at least covered for a day or so until the luggage catches up with you. 
Um, Mary, you have some And then things? for the power chair, you want to have those signs in it that you made at home already. Um, you have bags or um, you ever see the moving wrap that looks like a big saran wrap? You want to have that with you or the bags. Duct tape and then wire ties uh, to have with you as well for what you're going to do with the chair. Okay, and then going through security, I um, go to the bathroom first. I have a leg bag, and I just worry that the liquids, you know, they're, they're very tolerant of me, and, and they work with me, and um, I just, you know, I don't want to try to raise any red flags. So I try to minimize things that might set them off. I sometimes carry around a small utility knife in my bag because it's awfully handy. I forget it's in there, so it's important that I remove it. Um, you know, you in security, you bypass most of the line. Uh, you don't get x-rayed, you get the pat down. Um, and you don't have to transfer out of your wheelchair. Um, and I think also, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't even have to take your shoes off. No. Um, so, um, so that certainly can make it easier. You don't have to worry about that. So boarding. So what I usually do is I go to the gate one hour before the departure. Um, Again, what I do is I hang around and I wait till I see the agent appear there. And I just remind them, you know, that, that I'm here and I identify my needs. Again, I'm the guy who needs the aisle chair. Because there may be multiple people with uh, disabilities flying. I just confirm my seat. What I've sometimes hap had happen is they've switched my seat from what I wanted. I don't like to fly with the bulkhead because I like having the space and lift the armrest up so I can transfer. Um, and they think they're doing me a favor by transferring me to bulkhead because there's more space there, but I prefer they don't. So, um, but just to show that they can continue to change when they switched it to the bulkhead and I got on the plane, um, I was able to get it switched back. So there's a certain degree of flexibility. Uh, you have to play on people's um, other passengers' willingness to exchange with you. So there's a lot of flexibility here. Um, I remind them that I personally need the aisle chair and then, um, and then two people to assist. So. And then if you're using a power chair, um, two other really important components is now to speak to the pilot. So you ask right, the ticket agent right then and there, and the pilots are always very accommodating to come out, and you give the pilot one of your signs. Because you, and explain to him that you know, you've had a lot of damage before with the chair and you don't want that to happen again. And these are just some key things to remember, and this is my cell phone number. And just that basic information, not a long conversation, but at least he has it. And can you please call the baggage people when we land or when we're landing so that we have communication and they know to be really cautious with the wheelchair. And they're always really accommodating. I have to tell you, the pilots always come out and they'll talk to you and tell you, you know, I just spoke to so-and-so, they know what to expect, et cetera. So at least there's more communication to minimize the problems that people have had in the past. The other person you want to speak to is also the head baggage agent, whoever's in charge of that terminal for loading everything, because he's now loading or she is loading your chair right now. And so you want to make sure they do it safely and understand. So you just quickly go through the bullets again because they're busy and they have then the information, you give them a sign as well. So now everybody has the information at this point and um, just while you're sitting there then at the gate because you are early and you're waiting around, if you are renting a car on the other end, like a van or something, it's a good time to just confirm where are they gonna leave it, where is everything going to be, and if you have any bladder management needs before you get on the flight to take care of that. So then right oh, after oh, oh. that, sorry. Backwards. There you go, sorry. Sit back, okay. you got it. 
Did I Is it? screw oh. it up? Nope. No, we're there good. We go. Okay. That's trouble you weren't tag team. So so transferring the aisle chair, um, so getting on the plane, right? So there's transferring to the aisle chair, transferring to the airline seat, you know, do you use a cushion? We're gonna discuss some of this in a little more detail. Um, it's a, I usually direct the two-person lift. I also have to direct often um, when they buckle me in, because sometimes they come and they're just not familiar with how the buckles and the straps work. Um, so I direct them to do that. Um, if the armrest, we'll, if you hold the question, we'll, we'll get to the questions at the end. So for, um, if the armrest lifts up, I can do an independent transfer. Um, and then there's the, the overhead storage. Um, I use a manual chair. Uh, so what I do is I remove anything that can be that can come off my chair. So you mentioned the cushion. I take my cushion off it. I take my little shields off. Anything that could potentially fall off. I even fold the back down because I don't want them trying to force the back down. Um, and then Mary's experience with the power chair is much different. So when you once you're getting out of the chair now with the power chair, you're always doing this ahead of everyone else getting on the flight. And what you're doing is you're doing a quick transfer to the actual aisle chair. But again, you're directing every part of it because they don't know you. And they honestly, there's three different types, I think, of aisle chairs that are out there. And sometimes they don't know that particular model or how the straps work. But depending on your level of injury, if you don't have trunk control, you need to really make sure they're getting the straps up over your shoulders and all that. So it's a little more of a process, but it's at a lot of direction for you. But it, it goes really quick. It's not hard. It's just knowing it. That's all. And then um, always, if you, you know, I'm a big fan of always protecting your skin. So I think you should always be on some kind of cushion on the airplane, airline seat. And so Rojo makes that low profile Rojo, and a lot of people travel with that because it's very light. And it's a nice, easy cushion that you could even stick on a tub bench if it's not padded for you when you get to your hotel or whatever the case is. And it's antimicrobial, antibacterial, and waterproof. So it really is a good, versatile cushion. The only thing you want to think about when you're flying with it, it's an air cushion. And what happens with air when we're up in the air, it builds up. So you want to take air out probably halfway through the flight or something like that. You'll see it, you'll, you'll feel it, that you're going up a tiny bit with it. So just to be mindful of that. And of course, you want to just keep an eye on all the stuff that's happening. When you come out of the power wheelchair, you start to do, again, the same as the manual chair, you take off anything that you think should be removed, like headrests, sometimes joystick handles, things like that and it should all go into your duffel bag that you carry just for that purpose. So the, the Rojo cushion comes out of it to go on the airline seat, and then the parts from your wheelchair start going into it. And most people who are using power mobility um, usually have a little bit of help as well with some of their functioning. So someone's traveling with them who could do a lot of this stuff in terms of wrapping up the chair and all that type of stuff. So with the power chair, it has to get stored underneath, and, and it depends on the size of the plane itself, whether it's an Airbus or a Boeing, different size. They all have different size holds. Some of the smaller commuter, plane, commuter flights, they're really low. So you need to make sure that the, the back of the seat, the recline function on the chair, if you don't have it, it's a problem. You need to make sure that's all the way down. And so you would physically do that before you give it to them. And so this is a chair that's set up uh, for that underneath. And bless you. And um, it's wrapped with, in this situation, it's with two bags. So you know how you have the, um, the big bags for um, recyclable? You just use them. So one of them can, sometimes the big bag can go over the, over the whole chair.
but it depends how the recline is. Other than that, you may need one coming up from the footrest part and over the armrest, and then one coming down over the top part of it. And then what you do is you just, um, it usually will get tight over the cushion to hold it. If not, you just put your duct tape on the bags. Then you have the signs. You want to put a sign where they can easily see it. Because often it's up on a conveyor and they're looking at it here. So near the foot plates, it's always good to have at least one sign there. And this is just a view from like the side of it. And for this particular airplane, it was reclined enough for that model. But I, we always ask the baggage claim person, and, and he usually says, oh, can it go down more? Or no, that's fine. So this way it's done, and you don't have to worry about it. And um, what I'll always do is then pull the bag tight over the push handle so that it's easy to then push it. So you're not, uh, they're not trying to struggle pushing this 400-pound piece of equipment with plastic that's moving all over the place. So that's pretty much what it would look like, and it's fast. You get it, it's all like quick, within like five, 10 minutes tops. Um, everything's, all this occurs. Okay, so when you're in the flight, things to consider are length of stay, so pressure relief, or length of flight, I'm sorry, the hospital mode. So, um, and what different technique you can do. Uh, leaning forward is an effective pressure relief technique, so, um, in leaning forward to getting the pressure off the back of the, the, the ischial tuberosities. Um, uh, bladder management. I had a friend, one pearl I learned from a young woman who traveled. Um, she always traveled with an empty Mountain Dew bottle. Okay, Mountain Dew is a, a yellow liquid. There's another thing that's a yellow liquid, and you could discreetly use it as a urinal without, and then have it there, and not, and then ask, you know, to the stewardess, can you just please dispose of this? Um, other things people do, blankets um, to cover themselves so that they have privacy. There are some planes that have accessible bathrooms with. Um, with the aisle chairs, if in an emergency you need to get back there, but really try to try to plan for that if you can. I think the planes that have the accessible bathrooms are the big, um, like uh, international flight type planes. They also uh, have bigger for uh, cabinets on closets on the plane, so they usually for manual wheelchairs they can carry one or two manual wheelchairs, sometimes even three if it's summertime versus wintertime, in the closets on the plane, so they don't have to go underneath. So if it's a manual wheelchair, it's just important to be aware of that. I just want to add to what you're saying, and that I, I learned this little trick. They have bags, little plastic bags that are flat, and they have a drawstring on the top. You buy in like a box of 12 or 24 CVS, Walgreens, anywhere. And they're little plastic bags, and they're, they're carry-urinal, and oh. the urine solidifies into a gel, oh. so it could be disposed of in the trash. Just tie the knot, close the bag, nice. and they're great to keep on you. You can fold it up, put it in a pocket. It is really a great device to have if you're oh. somewhere in tight quarters and you don't want to have liquid floating around. Sure. Oh, Another yeah. pearl. Yes. Wonderful. Pearl. We have to get the name of that <laughs> company. Yeah. On Amazon you can order them? Cool. Wonderful. What are they called? Oh, okay. They're cool. like yeah. flexible or? They're um, gel transfer urinals. So yeah. you, you, obviously any liquid that goes in there, like I said, it turns into a solid gel and you yeah. just tie it in a bag. Um, I know I get them at CVS all the time, but I will get back to you with the name. I'll, I'll see you to give me the name. That's great. Okay. All right. So? And then so for like getting off the plane, um, so pretty much the flight usually takes place. It depends how long it is. and. Um, the most important thing is make sure you're doing pressure reliefs while you're on the actual uh, flight. So for people who are paraplegic and can push up, then that's a great way to do it. 
if you have quadriplegia and you need someone to lean you forward, you definitely want to be in that bulkhead seat or in like the bigger uh, business class or first class type seats so that you even have room for your head to go forward. So just to be aware of that. Um, then um, a lot of times they want to just get you in the aisle chair right away and get you out of, off the plane. But the problem is, where is your wheelchair? So a lot of times that could take quite a while, depending on what's going on that night and the weather and all that type of stuff. So a, a recommendation is to just nicely you know, say, hey, you know, I really need to stay in this until the, the, um, my chair comes because I can't sit in that other chair. It's going to cause an injury, a wound, a pressure ulcer, whatever you use. But it w and it can, because you could be left there for a long time, never mind the discomfort in those type of chairs. They're just transport chairs. They're not to go from point A to point B immediately, not to be sitting in them for any length of time. Then also, um, you use the same strategies you used when you directed the people to help you over. You need two, if you're, depending on the size, if you need two bigger people to help you transfer, et cetera, you just want to make sure you're, you're directing all of that. And then once you do get out of the chair, out of the aisle chair, and you're going into your chair, you take a quick glance of it, at it, and you're just making sure that it's going to wheel and everything's okay with it. But you're not doing any major inspection because everything's happening quick, and they need you out of the jetway so they can start, you know, doing other stuff with the plane or loading it up for the next group. But once you have all your bags and you have your stuff and you're settled enough in the chair so you have balance and all, you want to get out and just go right into the terminal right outside of that jetway there. And then once you're there, you start getting positioned all the way back, make sure everything's in place. You start really taking a harder look at the wheelchair because you don't want to wait till you get home because then it's harder to prove where the damage happened from if there was damage. And now fortunately we all have cell phones so it's so easy to take a quick picture if you see something off to be able to show it. And so that would be the place you start to document and, and get a handle on that. And then when you're in the terminal, you probably want to handle some bladder management needs in the bathroom there if you can before you go down to get your luggage. And so then once you go into the baggage claim, you want to, of course, locate your luggage. And sometimes by the time, if you're in a power chair, by the time you do get down there, it's often at the airline um, counter where they keep bags um, that haven't been um, picked up yet. And so you want to get that. And uh, also your, um, the rolling commode chair, if you or any other um, gate-checked items, you would get them at the gate as well. I'm sorry. You get that before you come down, and then you'd come down with it. And then um, you want to talk to the airline person at that point in time if there is any damage to your chair. Because they can, you start the report right then and there, and it's very quick. And if you're at your destination, they will often, like within 24 hours or something, they'll have something, they, they're very quick with getting a quick repair in that situation. So you just want to make sure you know, you keep good communication with them and they'll give you a phone number. They often have a credit card that goes right on that can get done quickly at times. Sometimes for whatever reason, it seems to take a long time, but generally they do make every effort to get you your um, repair, a repair to your equipment ASAP. Do you want to do? Okay. And then once you get to your destination, you know, what do you, once you get your luggage and all that and you're outside, how, what's going on? Are you renting a van? Is, where is that? Or a taxi? Uh, a lot of the hotel shuttles have accessible uh, vehicles so that you can take a, if you just go into one particular hotel or resort and you're staying there, a lot of times they have a shuttle that is accessible for both power and manual chairs. Um, so just to be mindful of that as well. 
I don't know, uh, Gene. To, now, there will be another presentation on travel, and then there's going to be a panel afterwards with, made up of people who have traveled all over the place, and there's a lot of opportunity to have some discussion then, too. This presentation was recorded on Friday, September 23, 2016, and was hosted by the Northern New Jersey Spinal Cord Injury System, a collaborative effort of Kessler Foundation, Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, and University Hospital. NNJSCIS is supported by the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research. NIDLER is a center within the Administration for Community Living in the Department of Health and Human Services. The ideas expressed during this conference do not necessarily represent the policy of NIDLER, ACL, HHS, or the federal government. If you have a brain or spinal cord injury, stroke, or multiple sclerosis, access to world-class research is right in West Orange. Kessler Foundation researches the latest treatments for these conditions. We are looking for research volunteers with brain or spinal cord injury, stroke, or MS. We also need healthy persons to serve as controls in our studies. There is no cost to join our studies, and you may be compensated. For information, call Kessler Foundation at 844-KF-STUDY. That's 844-KF-STUDY.